This is Ryan Watches a Movie, where we get our friend Ryan to watch a movie and tell us what he thought. Going balls out in the lobby yard. Watching the Grumman crawl. Magi. Little kids got naked and had lots of sex. Don't even waste your time. Hello and welcome to Ryan Watches a Movie. This is episode number 69. My name is Adam. Today, we're joined by Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. And Ryan, how are you, sir? Hey, come on. <laughs> head cold. Head <laughs> Ryan, cold. how are Full you? Effect. Head cold. Okay. Uh, what movie do we have you watch this week? The Oregonian. The Oregonian. <laughs> this is in honor of The Rambler hitting select cities this weekend. Uh, it's written and directed by Calvin Reeder. Stars Lindy, Lindsay Pulisfer, Robert Longstreet, Matt Olson. Uh, this synopsis says a woman leaves the farm and enters the unknown ryan why don't you give us your synopsis um well i really don't have one <laughs> this lady breaks my car and that's about all i understood <laughs> well maybe to get some clarification we have a special guest with us today we brought the director calvin reader on the show calvin are you there I'm here. Great. So, what is, what is your take on Ryan's little synopsis there? I think it's 100% accurate. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ryan, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about the movie, and then we'll have Calvin chime in after you uh, give your... Well, like I, like I said... Uh... Uh, I hate this. I fucking, uh, I'm so sick. I can't talk. Alright. Uh, oh, good lord. She wrecked her car. And I didn't really understand anything else except for that I assumed it was supposed to be some kind of symbolism. And yeah, she wrecked her car, and I did notice that every scene, the blood on her face, the blood on her face is different. Do you understand what I mean? The, the blood, I the blood so. on her face is different. I think the, I'm like she has that. Ah. Head cold, Ryan is extremely enjoyable. No, <laughs> I think I think bringing in Calvin made Ryan's head explode. No, it might, it it, might. okay. Well, Cal- Calvin, maybe you can give us what your synopsis is of the Oregonian. Oh well, my synopsis is: a woman leaves the farm and enters the unknown. That is not someone else's. That is my words. Um, I think uh, Ryan's summary of it is is totally legal. Um, my my version of events uh, is not so different from that. I think the story is basically told in the character's transformation. Um, a lot of you know he, Ryan uses the word symbolism, and I think that's fair. Uh, a lot of those uh, symbols are something you might see in a dream. Uh, so I tried to uh, incorporate dream logic. I think that's really the only way to probe the unknown. I think that's something the surrealists have been doing for you know mm-hmm. 150 years. Uh, Though that's the sort of lineage that I I sort of uh, associate my films with, 
Um, it's not an easy thing to talk about. Uh, but yeah, I try to do things in movies that you haven't seen in movies in order to give you a new type of feeling. Uh, sometimes that, that feeling is pure frustration for some people. Other people, it's uh, extreme excitement that they finally get to see a movie that does something different. Yeah, I, I, well, I definitely agree. This is this is something different. Now, Ryan, I'm not sure that... Were you frustrated, Ryan? Or did you yes. find it refresh? Okay. Right. <laughs> I was very frustrated because I had no idea what was happening. Now, Ryan... Typically, Ryan doesn't like movies where he can't understand exactly what's happening, um, which is essentially why we picked this movie, because we knew that it would frustrate him. But <laughs> Thanks. I, I actually... Also- I would also imagine that Ryan is not... You're not a huge fan of surrealism, are you? Not. Not. No. Oh, really? That's it. I didn't think so. I'm trying to think of what other movies we had him watch that were more like surreal. I, I know uh, that I made him watch Antichrist. Yeah, what did you think Antichrist? What did I give that? I can't I think I gave that like a three... Three out, three out of ten. Do you yeah. do you remember do you remember anything from Antichrist? Uh, I remember that that lady goes <laughs> crazy and she gets reported to Italy. What? <laughs> the <laughs> the mainly oh wait no that's on Antichrist. What what were you Antichrist is a penis man. <laughs> I remember that as well. Oh my god. Sword. So, Ryan, if you gave Antichrist a three, what did you like about it? Honestly, that it was fucked up. You liked that part. I liked that part of it too. Yeah. So you, you I like that movie. <laughs> well, I, I, think... I like when things are really, really abstract, I guess. Uh. Okay. Well, that pretty much just goes <laughs> against exactly what you said earlier when you're saying but you don't like when things. I don't like. It's more of me not liking it because I don't understand what's happening. Okay. Right, but, and it makes but, me feel dumb. Okay. But did um, you understand what was happening in Antichrist? Not. Uh, <laughs> not really, no. We did, you uh, got, if I we remember do, correctly, I was more baffled by what was happening. We do have to remember, he has a head cold. Yeah. He's not in his right mind right now. <laughs> well, I think the Oregonian has some pretty fucked up stuff in it, too. Yeah, would, yeah would you... I agree, but again, I didn't understand it. And that leads me to be frustrated. Mm. Hey, I think that's totally legal. I mean, when we make this movie... It's not to win over everybody. We just ask if you hate it, you hate it all the way. Don't give it a three, give it a zero. <laughs> well, no, uh, no is, is that statement going to affect Ryan's score? Uh, um, I don't think so. Well, <laughs> I don't think I ever gave it a zero. No, you I gave, I think Catwoman was still like your lowest, and you gave that like a point five, right? <laughs> But I think he wanted to give it like a point one five. I wanted to give it a negative, <laughs> negative point five. Negative point five. Calvin, how do you feel about scoring movies? I bet as a filmmaker, that probably isn't probably don't like that too much. Um, you know, it's 
it's very conformist in particular mm-hmm. when it comes down to the um when they grade it with a uh sort of the academia scale of uh, a b c d e and f mm-hmm. it just tells me that the people who are judging art have not yet graduated from that part of their life and they are essentially doing what the teachers taught them to do and they're taking it into a realm that is completely separate of that I look at the ratings uh, uh, of film stars as sort of an extension of that, yet somewhat more tolerable. Mm. And what do you, how do you feel about um, like aggregate sites like Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic? I, I, I don't have a, a, a really strong feeling one way or another on them because they're just so soulless. You know, they're, just, they're just something that gathers the information on the Internet and, and slaps it together. I guess I wish they were a little bit more accurate. When I look at what they say, they only um, include part of the reviews on indie films. Uh, if it's a really small film in their world, but like a big w- film in my world, like I've seen it at several festivals, I'll check out what what um, Rotten Tom- Tomatoes might say, and I'll see that they're only telling part of the story because the movie isn't big enough for them. That's my only problem. One of the issues, and we've talked about this before on the show with, with Rotten Tomatoes, it, it seems like... When they look at, and I could be completely wrong, I don't know what kind of like algorithms they use to figure this out, but it seems like when they look at the individual's review, uh, they either give it, it's like good or bad. Yeah. Do they, because that that seems like, because there's so many shades of gray when it comes to looking at a movie. And plus... I guess you're right. Yeah, I totally forgot that. I've only looked at it probably about 20 times in my life. Um but I do remember when The Oregonian came out, we got a uh, review from the New York Times that was, I would say, 60% good, but they gave it a complete uh, rotten score. But there was no way, you know, who decided that, you know? And, and plus, there's different critics review movies in different ways. You know, if I if I was going to be reviewing The Oregonian, I wouldn't review it the same way that I would review um, Now You See Me or one of the other big summer blockbusters that comes out. Yeah. And I don't know if they really take that into consideration either. Well, I think that the the film world isn't quite as evolved uh, in across the board as, say, the music world. I think everybody in music knows you can't uh, give the Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> new record to the same guy that's interested in hearing, um, you know, Black Flag or something like that. You can't you can't do that uh, in in music and it's very plain. But in film, that hasn't come come to pass yet. So you'll give uh, Hollywood blockbuster to the same guy who's going to review somebody at Sundance, uh, and and it happens all the time. Uh, I think Hit Fix. You know, I got in a public argument with a guy from Hit Fix that essentially does exactly that. And uh, I I don't have a huge problem with it. I just want to kind of expose that you know when I can. Yeah, actually, I think that that's a good point, because now that I think about it, when you look at music criticism, you always have critics that are that review like a a specific style or genre, whereas with movies, everybody just reviews everything. everything. Everybody's an expert and it doesn't. I mean, you probably know a lot of people that work at several websites or whatever. But when we had the Oregonian out there, there was this one particular guy who worked at a, a place called Geek Tyrant. And, uh, oh, he I, did know. A, I know that site. <laughs> he did an interview with me in advance, and uh, I was just dropping real easy movies that he ought to know as a film critic. Movies like Don't Look Now, movies like Stalker, movies like El Topo, 
real slow balls, right? Mm-hmm. He hadn't heard of any of them. He just looked at me like I was a crazy person for talking about anything that predated Fight Club. Oh, God. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, you know, he came out with his review, and he said it was the strangest film he'd ever seen, and that's actually a pretty strong endorsement. But then he went to go talk about how it was a bad movie. And I don't understand how a person with such little knowledge can decide what's good and what's bad. Well, Conversely, th- he gave a glowing review to The Rambler, so go figure. <laughs> I think that that kind of speaks to the movie blog culture and, and how <laughs> film criticism oh, is nowadays. There's yes. so many of them. Yeah, I mean, we're and uh, but I know so many people that you you know you'll talk. They say that they love film, and you'll talk to them, and they don't know anything before like the eighties, and they just look at you like you're completely insane. Yeah, I think it's yeah. Im- it's important to have the the foundation, you know. And the main thing with it's Rotten curiosity. Tomatoes that I don't understand is it, you should either know if you want to see a movie or you don't. I don't understand why you need to go to these sites to see a number to make your decision. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah. You should just know if you want to see something or not. Yeah. And I just looked. The Oregonian has a 50%. That's not bad. Oh, I think that tells the whole story, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, one way or the other. It, it pretty much divides things. Now, I wanted to ask, um, I do want to come back to you, Ryan, but I just want to quickly ask before I forget, how did you decide to do the gasoline, like, whatever that drink was in that movie? Cocktail. Oh, drink, drinking gasoline? Yeah. How did I decide on that? Um, you know, like I said, a lot of these decisions sort of pop up from my subconscious, but... Um, I think that the gasoline called back to a time in my life when I knew a fellow that used to drink gasoline. <laughs> there and you go. Uh, I wanted I wanted <laughs> to see that. I wanted to do that in my own way. Now, Ryan, what was uh, what was one of the your favorite moments of the film, or maybe one of the th- elements that you thought was the strangest? I thought when she screamed, by actually when everyone screamed, that was strange. <laughs> When they would just randomly scream. Okay. Yeah, that was creepy. I thought that was... uh... And I also thought the promise smile was creepy. The what? Uh, Everyone was smiling. Oh, gotcha. Are you talking about about the the middle-aged women in the the green room? Yeah. Or just everyone? Everyone. Okay. But more of them. More of the... The lady that was in the car that was just smiling away. I don't understand. Like, that would be my question. Since you're the director, can you explain a little <laughs> bit, like, what I, what happened? <laughs> you know. Or what did I miss? Or... <clears throat> well, I, I, don't, I didn't have your experience, Ryan, so I don't know what you missed. But I can tell you the... Uh... The difference between uh, our lead girl, the Oregonian's experience, you know, she's inconsolable and in tears, and everybody else's experience is quite different. You use the word perma-smile. So I wanted to highlight the differences that are going on in those two people's experience while in the same environment. By the end of the movie, the Oregonian's experience becomes a lot more like hers. When I say hers, I mean, you know, the stranger in the car and those people with the perma-smile. There's a sort of transformation of character happening throughout this movie, and it's marked through many of those uh, 
instances, which I think you described as random, I would argue that there's nothing random about the movie. The screaming, the changing of location, um, to me, those are all very marked uh, points of the film. And uh, it's all about the transformation of this, of this character sort of accepting the unknown. You know, if you're thrown into the unknown, something terrifying like that, you might be a, a wreck. And yeah. I, think, I, I think that a lot of movies throw people into the unknown, and then there's some type of, like, redemption to be had, some type of uh, reveal to help you understand this kind of stuff. I choose to keep the unknown unknowable, but I wanted to show our character accepting it. <clears throat> now, uh, one thing I wanted to ask is, is it safe to assume that a lot of these... Uh, visions and things that are happening in her head are due to the car accident. You know, I uh, if it, it's yeah, I, I okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the car accident to me just equals an event, uh, and, and the event thrusts her into the unknown. And um, you you can say that it's in her head, or, or you could say that she's actually in an unknown place. Uh, I'm just trying to explore what that would be. I think it's pretty safe to assume that. Pretty much anybody that watches this can take away um, something different. So, like, yeah, the, like Kevin's what Kevin believes this movie is about or symbolizes or whatever could be something completely different than what I t take away from it. Yes. Do you now? Really? I take it, it. I actually haven't seen the Rambler yet, but I have seen the short film and. I would assume that the Rambler has that same kind of structure where it's like, this is some crazy shit, and you kind of formulate your own conclusion as to what everything means. Uh, yeah, the, the Rambler's definitely an odyssey, much like the, the Oregonian. Um, uh, what you just described about forming your own conclusion, I don't believe that's unique to the uh, Oregonian or the Rambler. I think that that's the way you watch every single film. Um, that's, a, that's all art, really. Absolutely. All art in general. Absolutely. I think it's just a little bit more highlighted in the Oregonian where, you know, you watch a movie where, where maybe you only have two or three things to wonder about and you go to the bar and argue about those things with your buddies. The Oregonian, it doesn't give you those two or three things. It gives you sort of an infinite um, amount of things to consider. Yeah, I'll yeah, well, I'll, I'll agree with that. I'll, I'll, although I would argue that there's only one way to look at Fast 6. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's good. What fast? <laughs> Shut your mouth! It got it. good. Didn't it get a good review on your website? Yeah, I was uh, gonna ask you about that. Did it? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but Ernie, yeah, Ernie reviewed it and uh, he gave it a seven and a half. Oh uh, yeah, well, he's a weird guy. Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he's. He's very forgiving of a lot of movies. Like he, the way that he looks at movies is like he's kind of comparing it to other movies of that ilk. And, yes. Uh, but uh, he, despite that, he still couldn't bring himself to give After Earth a good review. <laughs> well, I, I think I think only yeah. one person has. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to point out that what I like this happened a long time ago. It seems like, but when you asked Ryan what the craziest part of this movie was. I like that he went with like the most subdued, subtle portions of the film. Yeah. It's what he picks as the strangest. <laughs> because that's what confused me. The like just uh, the smiling? That's what confused you? That's it? I felt like I was watching um 
What's uh, the black holes on video? Oh, the yeah. sound, the sound card. <laughs> yeah. And I really did something wrong. All right. Have <laughs> <laughs> you? I ever got? No, I didn't think it was like that. But uh, the smiling is. It reminded me of that, and I was very confused. <laughs> I bet that's the first time you ever heard the Oregonian compared to the Black Hole Sun music video. You heard it here first. Man, that was on MTV so much in, like, 1994. That must have, like, broke every record. Oh, yeah. Yes. That was everywhere. I think, that's, I think that's ingrained in everyone's head. I think so. From that time period. Well, I think it's... I think that it's interesting that Ryan does point out yeah, one of the I'm, small things. I'm extremely interested in this. I, he just bypasses all the the stuff that I thought would like melt his brain, and he goes to the smiling. Well, see, I'm the same way with with a lot of movies. Like it's it's sometimes it's just the small things, and comedies are the same way. Where it's like these yeah. little, I'll oh, find yeah. these all little the like, lines are the best. Yeah. And the same thing goes for, like, for instance, the new Evil Dead movie. Calvin, have you seen the new Evil Dead movie? I did see it. Like, uh, someone asked me what the I found to be, like, the creepiest or most scary part of that movie. And while I didn't find the movie to be scary at all, the, one of the most, like, cringeworthy moments for me was the scene where the machete went through the wall and just went right over her knee. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember and that. And it was just, like, that was just a small... Mm-hmm thing but i just found that to be like so effective for some reason i agree man details are the soul of narrative and um that's a detail and that's what you're going to take away and what did you just out of curiosity what did you think of the new evil dead you know i didn't take the time to think about it it's a it's essentially made for making money um the, the first evil dead is a, one of my favorite films it's a personal statement type movie but the remake is sole purpose is to make money so for me to think beyond anything would be a waste of time now, you, most of your films, and, and you could probably argue this, but I think generally speaking, most people look at your movies as horror movies. Um, do you find yourself pretty firmly planted in, like, genre cinema? No, I don't even like that word. Yeah, genre. I kind of I thought that that'd be the answer. Um, but I do like some horror movies. I like all movies, all kinds of movies. I don't like all movies. I like all kinds of movies. Um yeah, but I, I'm I'm not I'm never drawn that much to uh, horror. It always seems like a letdown. I'll watch a John Huston movie any day, but uh, I usually don't go for John Carpenter. Hmm. Mm, not a John Carpenter fan, huh? Uh, one or two, but I think he fucks everything up with his dialogue. He's, mm. he's, he's one of the worst dialogue writers that I I think's out there. They live. Not a fan. Love. They live. There's exceptions to everything, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, how did you uh, do the sound in this movie? Ooh, you know, like, I, what kind of mic did you have? Oh, usually the most broken ass mic I possibly could find. A lot of times, uh, it would be like with a with a dictaphone with like a tape in it, um, and then I would hold it up to GarageBand or something like that. Um, it was different every time. Every sound is, needed its own vibe. Is hold it up to that GarageBand. on purpose? Wow. Was it on purpose? Yeah. Yeah, everything's on purpose. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I, I like that Ryan points that out, though, because that was my favorite part of this entire film. I thought the, the music and all the sound was perfect. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, we, knew, we knew we had to do something special there. Otherwise, you know, we, it's just another, you know, 
$15,000 movie. Um, so we were just like, well, what can we do to separate us? Uh, I'm a musician and I love crazy sounds. I play in a lot of noise bands. Um, my editor buzz is, is, a, is a way into it equally. So each image needed a sound to go with it. This was shot on film? It was, yeah. And was the Rambler also shot on film? No, it wasn't, and it's it's hilarious. They just you know revealed the budget of the Oregonian, and that's what you would call micro. Um, right. So you might ask yourself how the hell I avoid, afforded to shoot film. Yeah. It's, it's because I worked at that film lab, Alpha Cine, up in Seattle for many years, and we would get access to stock that would say be expired. Uh, we we could get it for free sometimes, or get it for really cheap, and then we could uh, process it for very cheap. And, uh, and and essentially that was the whole cost of the film uh, was 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 that maybe a couple plane tickets here and there but you know uh, now with the Rambler a much bigger budget but when we did all the you know the budget and everything we had just enough mo- money to do everything we needed and then the bond company stepped in and we had we had never heard of a bond company and what a bond company does is it insures the investors money but they take a fee. And that fee is something to the tune of thirty thousand dollars. So there went our uh, our our film budget because we were going to shoot considerably more film. So it left us in a pickle, and uh, we we decided we had to go digital. And uh, I shot on the Alexa, which is what they shot that film Drive on, and many others. Right. That's a from what I read. That's a great camera. It ain't bad. I I I, I thought I was going to be disappointed, and but I wasn't. Yeah, I'm excited to see the Rambler. I'm- I mean, it's a much bigger film. Uh, it's got a lot of the same elements as the Oregonian, but the feel is wide open and big. I think in the Oregonian, we're shooting around things uh, in, in, that we don't have, and in the or- in the Rambler, there's essentially nothing we don't have. It's all there for you to see. Now, usually around this time of the show, we talk about the director's previous work. So let's um, let's quickly go over your filmography. Um, First off, you acted in quite a number of things as well, not just your own projects. You were in VHS. Um, I, I think Ernie said you have a small part in your next. Is that right? I, I do. Not credited on IMDb? Thank God. <laughs> yeah, he, he told me that you weren't too keen on that movie. What What's that all about? Oh, I've never seen that movie, um, so I can't really say I'm keen on it or not. Um, Adam and Simon are friends of mine. I've known Adam since he was you know, making that movie Pop Skull. Um, they like to work with directors in place of actors, and, uh, you know, they, they were making this movie. Uh, I didn't know it was called VHS at the time, and that, that came before uh, that came before your next. And it paid. It paid really well, and they're trying to sell VHS as if it's some low-budget thing, but it was like, it was a, you know, 500000 or more dollar movie. So it paid everybody really well, and... Uh, or, or, or kind of well, so I, I went out and did that, and then six months later they called me out to do your next, just because we had a good time, you know, six months b- before. I never even read the script for your next. Um, I haven't seen it yet. Hmm. I'm, I actually, I'm actually pretty excited for it. It looks pretty good to me, but I, I'm a huge horror guy, so... Well, I hope it meets your expectations. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people that I like a lot in it, you know, like Joe Swanberg and Ty West and Amy Simetz and oh yeah, and you. So <laughs> yeah, that's the whole that's the whole crew, right? Like, I f- yeah, I feel like you guys kind of all work together on like just tons and tons of projects. Yeah, you know, it's it's because we travel these festival circuits together, and, and even if Joe lives out in you know. Um, 
Chicago and Amy's always on the run. You know, I, I, I never know when I'm going to see Amy Simons, but, uh, you know, it's, it's because we all get thrown together at these film festivals. Um, and we all get wasted together and bond and these ideas, uh, arise, you know, I mean, I, there's a project that sort of got born at, um, out in Baltimore a couple weeks ago where the act, uh, the actor, uh, Kentucker Oddly, uh, and myself are supposed to be in a, in a, in a Hannah Fidel movie now. We'll see if that actually happens. Hannah made that movie a teacher. Mm-hmm. So we'll see, we'll see if that comes to fruition, but that's just the kind of stuff that just kind of happens. Uh, you know, like-minded weirdos get together and make, make a project. We did, um, we did see you at South by this year, uh, at the computer chess screening. Oh, nice. What did you think of computer chess? I loved it, man. <laughs> we, we didn't, we didn't like it so much. Ryan, pretty much. What did you I say wanted about to leave. Ryan wanted to walk out. <laughs> Or wheel out. Why did yeah, wheel out? When I was too afraid, you two didn't want to leave. Mm. Communication breakdown right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have loved to seen a wheel out though. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing, oh, okay. seeing a wheel out would have been good. I, I thought we were going to see a, a wheelchair fight between Ryan and Harry Knowles of Ain't It Cool News. <sighs> oh, what's going on with that guy? Doesn't he? He's in a wheelchair. There was uh there was a bit of a an issue with um you know the the Paramount and I'm, and I'm sure that this this is extremely interesting to all our listeners but <laughs> the, you know the the Paramount Theater there's basically one space that can fit two or three wheelchairs in the theater and we go to the Evil Dead screening and uh Harry Knowles got there he was there when we got in and he had all this camera equipment set up and we we pushed him up, and we didn't have anywhere to put Ryan. You know, the, the theater was packed, yeah. and he refused to move any of his camera equipment so that Ryan could sit there, and it caused this big thing. Kerf- kerfuffle. Kerfuffle. Yeah. Kerfuffle. No, yeah, that, guy, that guy's a dick. Don't you think that that's just... kind of a symptom of what we were discussing? Like, some, not definitely not all. I mean, I have a lot of friends who are critics and stuff, but some of these guys have taken on such a level of self-importance that uh, they they think that they're a more important audience member than the next guy. When, yeah. When I agree with that 100%. When we're at Computer Chest, you know, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm an audience member. And, uh, and I'm not trying to take up two seats because I'm important. All that guy is is a critic. And he's put himself ahead of everybody because his opinion of that movie must be more important than everybody else's. I totally agree. And the worst part is all the camera equipment was set up for his bullshit Q&A afterwards, and that's the reason he wouldn't take it down. Even though he had it was to already move set it. Up. Even yeah. though he had to move it. And I, I, would, I would like to just say, it's not like he had, uh, you know, 100 pounds of camera equipment set up. It was a camera and a tripod, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> he could just pick it up and move it. Was, it. was it explained to him that there was no other place for Ryan to be? Um, yeah, and he did one. not care. Yeah. What well, what ended up happening was uh, Ryan had to sit in the very very back by the doors, which was on a hill, completely obstructed as well. He couldn't even see the whole screen. So where does South by play in that kind of event? Don't don't you think they should take some sort of responsibility and not kiss Harry Knoll's ass? Shouldn't at some point they be like, wait a minute, we're not beholden to the press's whim. We should allow this for the people. You Shouldn't would think so. And, and I will say that that 
throughout that week, there was a lot of really nice uh, volunteers. A lot of people really yeah. went out of their way to help us accommodate for him. But yeah. there were there were a few times <laughs> where it was it was not not very nice. And it always seemed to be with this whole Q and A filming these Q and A things because we had a we had that problem with another film where they came in. Ryan was sitting there and they came in and started setting it up. And I just nicely said to them, you know, you can't do that right now. I had to wheel them out of here. And they were like, no, we have to do a Q&A right now. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? We just got to wheel the guy out. Three minutes. <laughs> and then you can set up your damn cameras and do your bullshit Q&A. That festival is so Q&A and panel crazy, I don't even know what to do. It's like they treat those type of discussions more important than the actual work. Exactly. Um, I've I've had films there. I've been an actor in films there, and they they give you a, a like a normal filmmaker pass. But this year I did a bullshit uh, panel with with Hannah, and uh, and I got like the gold pass just for being a speaker. The fact that I had the ramble in there didn't even move the dial on there. It was like, oh, you're gonna speak on a panel? Here's a gold pass. <laughs> yeah, you have a movie that's screening at the festival. That's yeah. fine. You get a film pass. You're on a panel. Gold. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you can't even get the, the platinum unless you have a uh, interactive type project that's in that competition. Mm. So you have that. You're you're up against that at South by. So it's kind of weird. Yeah. So even all about Q and A's. <laughs> now looking looking at your filmography, you you've done pretty much everything as far as filmmaking. Is directing kind of your favorite job, or do you kind of like everything? You know, uh, directing can be great. But uh, production is not a pleasant experience, um, not for me, because I'm o I never have enough time, uh, and I don't think that's a new song. I'm sure you've heard that from every filmmaker. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I'm always making these things on the run, so I, I, I'm extremely prepared, uh, and I just try to make sure I get everything I went during the day. It's not that I'm having a bad time. It's just that it's, it's just so fast I can't really enjoy it. I'm just trying to uh, get what I need. And then I really start to enjoy the process in post when, when like uh, Ryan pointed out, we're building the sound and, uh, and finding the right order for these images to, to be in. That's when I really have a good time. So uh, any upcoming projects you want to speak about? Uh, there, there, there are a few, um, but I think that if I, if I talked about them, uh, it would jinx it. So <laughs> keep, keep your eyes open for more weird stuff. Are you going to check out VHS too? I will never watch a VHS movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But I will see you next. I have, I know, got no problem with that one. Okay, just not VHS too? Um, anything associated with the website Bloody Disgusting, I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to avoid. Oh, okay. So that's... That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I... I, I don't... I, I have reservations about talking about them, but... I don't. I don't even know who they are. You know, bloody disgusting. The the, yeah. horror, the horror movie website. Maybe. Well, the thing that the thing that I question is the fact that it's a movie website. It's a horror movie website, basically, and they do reviews, and yet they're coming out with their own movies. Doesn't that seem like it's a big conflict of interest? Oh yeah, and and how about all their buddies in the press that give the exact same reviews that they do? So let's just say they back off on VHS one and let their buddies do the talking, basically just funneling all the interest to those movies to make a big sale. 
I mean, if that's fine, no one ever said filmmaking was equal opportunity, but I thought it was a very strange thing back in the year 2012 when a movie like The Pact, which I thought was great, uh, got just a slew of shit reviews on its opening day, and VHS 1, a found footage movie, gets like all this amazing credibility for being original, amazing, very scary, blah, blah, blah. It makes a huge sale, and you have to believe that that Brad Miska funneled inf- funneled all that stuff through his buddies. Um, I think I think there I think it was a it was a game that year, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I wouldn't I, be surprised. I can't I, I don't watch found footage movies very much, um, and and it just seems like the most unoriginal idea. They you know they called me in to get, pitch them a uh, a segment to that film well before I agreed to be in Adam and Simon's segment, and. Um, it sounded like the worst <clears throat> idea I'd ever heard. Like a found footage movie. Uh, they were talking as if it was like this huge creative uh, light bulb that went off in their head. That they were going to find all the, you know, what they call genre directors, throw them together, and uh, and give them a budget. But everything has to be in the found footage vein. I mean, I got such a headache after after sitting through that meeting. But then I went and did that um, that piece with uh, with with those guys, and they convinced me. You know, you should at least write something for them because if you do you know you get like fifty sixty thousand dollars to do this short film and i was like oh okay so i did write one after that but they you know roundly rejected that idea mm, that sucks mm. any oh, I, I don't care it was like you know it took it took one hour of my time to write a synopsis uh for a thing and you know it doesn't matter there's also i also wanted to mention that this isn't the only like i feel like horror anthologies are are being making a big comeback because we have the ABCs of death as well. Have you checked that out? No, um, I just don't see how it could be good. How could uh, that movie be good? Is it good? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> no. In my no. review, I actually did 26 mini reviews of each of the segments because yeah. it's unfair. With that movie, it's unfair to, to kind of say it sucks as a whole when there are several segments that are actually genuinely good and original yeah there's yeah. a there's one d is for dog fight if if that i don't know if it's like on vimeo or something that to watch but that one is definitely worth watching i just right. i never i never understood anthology films they've never worked well this i think usually the what happens with the anthology films is there's a few that are good and a bunch that aren't and it's like yeah, it's like a short film block, right? I mean, you can see yeah. some inspiring stuff, but there's always going to be something less than inspiring. Uh, going back to the found footage uh, thing, real quick, I, yeah. I did want to make a quick plug for a movie called The Dirties. Oh yeah, uh, you should definitely check that <laughs> one out because that is done as sort of a found footage, but it was the way that he did it was incredible. I loved it. Yeah, it, it, I think I, it's kind of a movie that I have to see for all the good stuff I've heard about it, for sure. I don't know. I can, I can only think of one found footage that I like. I'm trying to think of more. You were, yeah. you were uh, when we reviewed VHS, you were kind of... I liked some it. of this. I liked some of the segments. I liked VHS. Where you know, would... Calvin, I thought your character was a complete douche. That's and... awesome. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> Ryan, I think it's time to give you your drum roll. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. What do you give <laughs> the Oregonian? Four. Four out of ten. <laughs> defiant. That's a defiant four. 
Wow. Now, did you have this score picked out before you yeah. found out that Calvin was yeah. going to be on the show? And yeah. you stuck to it, even though he said go all the way to a zero. Yeah. And you you stuck with the Defiant Four. I can't give uh, the main character to Lindsay. What's her last name? Uh, Lucifer. Yeah, I can't give her a zero because I love her. <laughs> That's right. You are a big fan of her. Yeah. And we, when we saw her at the computer chess screening, you were staring yeah, yeah. at your crush. Oh crops. my god, that's right. He lost his shit. <laughs> you should have come over and talked to us, man. Yeah. Next film festival. Well, he also wanted to. What? What is? What was that? Oh, touch Paul Rudd. He wanted to pet his hair. Yeah. yeah. He goes. He goes. Do you think it'd be okay if I touched him? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, we were, with, we were with a regular uh, cast of indie characters that day. Did you recognize uh, Craig Zobel, who who made uh, yep. Compliance? He was with me. Yep. And, uh, yes, we saw, yeah. We saw and Craig. Stephen Shart, who produced all, all of Lynn Shelton's movies, Hump Day and Your Sister's Sister and all that stuff. Um, and we saw, um, I always forget his name, the from Shameless, Lip. I know. No, yeah, from what, after what school. Name? Lip from Shameless. <laughs> Jeremy uh, Jeremy Allen White is that his name? Yeah, he was there at that screening as well. Yeah, I mean that was that was great. I guess I didn't realize I, I don't remember that Q and A very much. It was filmed and everything, huh? Um, I uh, we didn't stay for the Q and A, so no, we had to try and get to another screening. But oh yeah, we were handica- <laughs> handicap taxes apparently don't exist in 2013. <laughs> That was... did, you, did you make it to the next screening? No. No. We waited two hours for a taxi that never came. Oh, yeah. That's South by. What a nightmare. Did that... you at least get drunk in the meantime? No. <laughs> oh, yeah, we did. Oh, yeah, How we did, did, actually. Yeah, we Where? Did. Oh, yeah, we did. Uh, I had, like, oh, you can do. that bourbon place. Yeah, we were Where? trying to get to uh, to go see, um, what was, uh, Zero Charisma. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we did not make it. Did not. Did not make it. All right. I think that uh, that wraps it up. Ryan, any final thoughts on the Oregonian? Very, very confusing. Very confusing. Okay. I won't say a waste of time because I didn't understand it, but very confusing. Now, are you going to check out the Rambler? Um, meh. I, I have to know, and I'm really hoping that this happened. When you were watching it, was your mom there, like, you know, doing housework and stuff? When I was watching, no. Oh, damn I watched it last night. Well, we did We did watch Hobo with the Shotgun with his mom. Oh. oh how is that? I never saw that one. It's it's pretty fun. I, I enjoyed it. It's like, um, see, I'm a big fan of, like, Grindhouse and exploitation films. Sure. And although I feel like these kind of modern contemporary versions are, they're kind of hit, hit and miss. Like, yeah. Parts of them are, are pretty cool. Parts of them still look modern. Uh, but that one was one of the better ones. We're going to actually, next week, we're going to be talking to the guys of uh, Astron 6, who do, uh, they did Father's Day and Manborg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're going to be talking to them next week. And another Ernie favorite. Yeah, Ernie was a big fan of Manborg, too. You know, this it's a really interesting thing that's that's come to pass, you know, in the past seven eight years with this revival of grindhouse movies because it's not grindhouse movies at all no. that they're making it's no. a new type of film 
and I'm not criticizing, and I'm only just observing that this is like it's it's kind of homage, but really it's not. It's it's new ideas that have been made to fit into uh, an old box. But it's interesting because those old ones, for the most part, were really taking huge risks and trying to do things in film you hadn't seen before. And when you go and you see these kind of grindhouse revivals, at least in L.A., the whole audience is always just laughing their ass off at what was probably someone's not intention to be laughed at. I'm not saying it's not okay to laugh at. It's just an interesting observation. Because that, that filmmaker took a huge risk to, to say something, and now he's getting laughed at. That means he took a risk. But when uh, a movie like Hobo with a Shotgun, it's, it's kind of telling you to laugh just by the title. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, so it's a type of comedy that's happening. Um, so it's new. It's a new. It's a new genre. Um, so keep your. I guess we'll see what happens with that. Yeah, they have. Uh, we're going to be talking to those guys. They have a new one coming out. It's being funded on Indiegogo right now, called The Editor, and um, they're only looking to get sixteen grand. They they're just looking to upgrade their camera. So that should they should be able to make that pretty easily. <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's there's like there's some of them that are trying to do it that that I think it doesn't work like. Um, like this week, I saw Dead Hooker in a Trunk. Oh, I love Dead Hooker in a Trunk. Okay. You, did Sorry. Brian actually saw that? You saw that one? No, he likes uh, actual Dead Hookers in Yeah. Trunk. You <laughs> fucked up. You're a fucked up man, right? Yeah. But anyway, like Dead Hooker in a Trunk, I think, was kind of a failed attempt at doing something like that. Even though yeah. I, I saw the promise there. It's the Sasuke sisters that directed it, but. Yeah. Well, that's cool that it was made by girls, at least, right? Yeah, yeah. They did uh, American Mary, which just came out in Select Cities last week. That was pretty good, actually. Well, see, that's yeah. I guess that's what it is. It's like a lot of people's first attempt doesn't really quite get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I made movies before the Oregonian, you know, um, with my partner Brady Hall at the time, and I can I can guarantee you we missed the mark every time we went out, you know. <laughs> I do, I do remember, and, and I'm, I apologize if I asked some of the same questions in a previous interview that we did with you, um, but in The Rambler, the short film is available on Vimeo, correct? Yeah, it's on Vimeo. Um, we don't really know where else to put it because we don't own it anymore. Uh, there has been some, you know, the chain of title and all that, but we just put it up on Vimeo, so. And um, also, so The Rambler's going to be playing in select cities, uh, is there going to be a video on demand release for that? Absolutely, it's through Anchor Bay on June twenty fifth. Anchor Bay, okay. How's how are they treating you? Oh, they're fine. I mean, they've been involved with it from the start. Um, so uh, it, it it took some years to get it funded, but they finally put the pieces together. So they it, it wasn't like we took the film to the market. They had already pre bought the film based off the script and the short. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. That makes it a little less stressful, right? Oh, it was a dream, man. I did not have to go play the game, and that was kind of sweet. But uh, actually, I don't. I think that a lot of filmmakers kind of get fooled into thinking they're the ones that need to go play the game. I really think that their responsibility ends once you know the film is is edited, mm-hmm. and then if it gets accepted into Sundance, well, what what more could the filmmaker possibly do? So right. when a film doesn't sell, sometimes it falls on the filmmaker's shoulder. Maybe it needs to fall on the sales agent's shoulder. Maybe it just is like I don't know, but. Uh, Really, a filmmaker can only control so much because we're not salesmen, you know. Yeah, no. yeah, I can, I can totally agree with that. All right, Calvin, thank you so much. Uh, I think that that'll wrap it up. Ryan, any final thoughts? Nope. Nope. All right. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, thanks for watching, Ryan. <laughs> no problem. Thanks for logging. 
Thanks for being a good sport. Right on. Uh, for all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us your feedback. Send us an email at feedbackfilmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. Yeah, I'm Kevin. Ryan. And we will see. <laughs> and we will see you on Monday. See you later. Oh God. Going down to the river just to find my time away. Don't you look for me tomorrow. Two road weary travelers experience the supernatural and refreshing taste of Miller Light. <laughs> yes. Yes, please.